This is Faithful Sayings, broadcast by the Leon Valley Church of Christ. Thanks so much for tuning in as we're continuing our series in the book of Romans. We are in Romans chapter 8. We're going to be thinking about Jesus' role as our intercessor here, among other things, among other points that we're, that we're going to notice, because in this last section of, of the chapter, there's so many more words of great comfort and, and hope for us to seize upon here for if we are, in fact, God's people. Remember, that's the context of this discussion in Romans chapter 8 and, and verse 1, where Paul starts by saying, Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those who are in Christ Jesus. So this is so that's key. That's a key thought in this in this text. And we spent some time uh, a few weeks ago talking about what that means to be in Christ Jesus in fellowship with Him. So I encourage you to go back and look at some of those earlier podcasts on SoundCloud or uh, your subscription service if you have one, and look at that that lesson at the the top of Romans chapter eight. So. Um, one of the promises, just for a brief overview here of the, of the final section and, and some of the thoughts that Paul is going to take us through, we come to see that, uh, for example, in verses 26 and 27, we come to see that even though we are finite, sinful people who can hardly articulate our desires, God still understands and God still hears our prayers. So verse 26, Paul says, in the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Uh, so that, and just in those two verses alone, there's so many great promises to, to seize upon, that God understands the groanings of our, our hearts, and we can find assurance in that. And we can find assurance in the fact that, as Paul says in verse 28, that God can and will use all things uh, um, for the good of those uh, who who love him. Verse 28, if you continue reading, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So uh, that text has been wrenched quite a bit in the religious world, but all things that Paul is talking about there is not absolutely everything, uh, as as has been translated or has been interpreted, I should say, sometimes. But rather, what Paul has in mind here are all things that he has mentioned within the text that he has discussed so far, like the law of the spirit of life and putting to death the deeds of the body and being led by the spirit and uh, present sufferings, the wrestling against our, our flesh by, by our spirit our and our hope, all, all those things that Paul has previously discussed, those are what God uses and causes to serve our redemption. In other words, our, our spiritual good is what he's talking about, not to make us prosperous physically uh, and good in that way, but he's working toward our salvation and, and redemption, ultimately our spiritual good and growth. And then finally, Paul mentions in verses 29 and 30 that those who conform to the image of his son are justified and will be glorified when he comes in judgment. And he goes on to talk about that there's no force powerful enough, either earthly or demonic, that can separate us from that that love of God, uh, verses 31 through 39. And so those are such great promises. And again, there's so many things to... To flesh out, and we will over the course of, of this study and, and next week, hopefully, uh, as we meditate on these points in, in more detail. Uh, but first, I want to go back to that, that text that we read a moment ago, 26 and 27. 
that we started with. And I want to um, go over some points that I think would serve us well as we move forward in this discussion. Uh, and, and that is in how Paul uses the word spirit. So that's one of the first things I want to talk about that I think will help us is if, we, if we bear in mind how Paul is using the word spirit. He uses it about 21 times in chapter 8. So that's a lot. Uh, 21 times. And depending on your translation, spirit may or may not begin with a capital S. Uh, so that is just denoting if it has a capital, that means that the translators are interpreting that text for you. And they're saying that this is a reference to the Holy Spirit rather than, uh, you know, the generic spirit or man's personal spirit or spirit in the sense of attitude or something like this. And it's certainly true that Paul, you know, some of Paul's uses of spirits, spirit in this context, you know, are undeniably pointing to God, like in verse 14 when he talks about being led by the Spirit of God. So clearly that's talking about um, uh, the Spirit of God, whether that's his attitude or the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have to interpret that for ourselves. And verse 16, the Spirit testifies with our spirit. So uh, there's definitely places in the context where Paul is pointing to either the Holy Spirit or the spirit attitude mindset of, of God. But it's equally true um, that as we examine the text for ourselves that Paul is referring to uh, the human spirit as as well. Uh, so we have to make up our minds. We have to decide based on the context whether Paul is referring to the Holy Spirit or to the human spirit, like in verse 16 that we just read a moment ago where he says the Spirit testifies with our spirit. And so clearly he's talking about two different things. There are two different spirits. Uh, verse 15 is another example where we find Christians, Paul says, have not received a spirit of bondage, a spirit of bondage. So in other words, we're not bound by sin under the law of Moses, as he's primarily speaking to Jewish Christians, uh, but he says we received a spirit of adoptions as sons, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. So in, in the text, in verse 15, it is it is we, it is Christians who cry, Abba, Father, and it is we who recognize God as our loving Father who is extending grace through through Jesus. And so all that to say, we got to look at the context to figure out uh, what spirit Paul is talking about, how he's using that word spirit, whether it's of our personal spirit or an attitude or mindset, or if he's talking about the Holy Spirit. So we have to, to use the context to make that determination. You know, a similar statement is made in Galatians 4 and verse 6, where Paul writes, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Uh, very similar to what he says in Romans 8 and verse 15. So I, in either way, it's in both cases, it is the Christian who is crying out, even though it is the spirit of his son that is said to be sent into our hearts or the spirit of adoption as sons. So, you know, and it, we have to, all that to say again, we have to look at the context to, to determine what spirit is being spoken of. Uh, likewise, in verse 13, Verse 13 of Romans 8, it says, We are to put to death the deeds of the body. Uh, we're, we're, that's very similar to what Paul says in Colossians 3, 5, where he talks about killing the flesh or, or mortifying the flesh um, by the Spirit or putting to death the deeds of the body by living according to the Spirit. So if we understand Paul to mean the Holy Spirit, well, we're still forced to concede that nevertheless it is the Christian who is acting or who is at least called to act from uh, from the heart in this regard, Romans six seventeen, that we are that we 
you and I are to put to death the deeds of the body. So I just want to emphasize, uh, considering the context, considering the context will, will help us and, and, and uh, help us to see what exactly, which spirit Paul is, is talking about. So with these principles in mind, let's, let's consider verse 26. So in the same way as we read just a moment ago, the spirit also helps our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we should the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Um, the Spirit under consideration here, I believe, is the believer's Spirit in submission to the Holy Spirit. You know, so there are, the, to be sure, let me say right off the bat, there are some, and even the translators, if you have a Bible like mine, will have Spirit capitalized in verse 26 uh, because they believe it's, Paul is referring to the Holy Spirit that is interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. So, there's some understand Paul to be referring to the Holy Spirit himself as interceding for us. Uh, and if so, we must understand Paul to mean the Holy Spirit communicates our desires uh, rather than advocate for us before the throne of God. Because this same context will make it clear that it is Jesus who is interceding for us before the throne of God. In verse 27, as well as in verse 34. Uh, so that that, at least for me, uh, indicates that Paul is not talking about the Holy Spirit, but he is rather referring to the human spirit uh, offering up these groanings uh, inwardly, or if we're trying to articulate them with our mouths, maybe we can't, we just can't adequately put those things into words. Nevertheless, we have one who intercedes for us before the throne, who knows what the mind of the Spirit is, verse 27, and so it is in that sense that the Spirit intercedes for us, uh, and notice that the Spirit Himself or itself—that word has been supplied by the translator. So Paul is literally saying the Spirit intercedes for us with the groanings too deep for words. In Scripture, Jesus is uh, exclusively qualified to fulfill the priestly function of intercession. Uh, in verse thirty-four that I mentioned a moment ago, Paul uh, will go go on to say that here. So if you just drop down a few verses to verse. 34, he says, who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised and is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Uh, so that's one place along with play, you know passages like Hebrews 7.25 and 1 Timothy 2.5, which tell us that Jesus is the only mediator between God and man. Uh, 1 Timothy 2. In verse 5, there is one God, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for us. And Hebrews 7.25 tells us that he ever lives to make intercession for the saints, that he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him because he ever lives to make intercession for them. In that, in that role as high priest, so that, uh, you know, it fits the immediate context and the rest of Scripture to understand Paul as referring to the believer spirit here, you know, the, the Holy Spirit, I don't think would intercede with groanings. Uh, and Paul has already stated that it is Christians earlier in the text that groan within ourselves in verse 23. So all these context clues seem to indicate he is talking about the believer spirit, even though in your Bible and my Bible, the translators have capitalized spirit, um, thinking that it refers to the Holy Spirit. We had to be very careful about that. You know, another place um, that is popularly thought of is referring to the Holy Spirit is in the book of James, where James says, you know, do you not know that God jealously longs for the spirit that he has made to, to dwell in us? 
Well, I think there, uh, again, that's James is talking about us, our personal spirit, not not the Holy Spirit. God wants us to submit to Him and not fall into hypocrisy and trying to straddle the fence and serve the world and, and serve Him there in the book of James and the, and the context as he's making that point. So, uh, you know, even even when we in our groanings uh, is the point, we, we don't know how to pray as we ought. Paul is saying <clears throat> that God understands. He And he looks and he sees the effort and we have an intercessor and we should take great hope and comfort in that. Uh, so when he, when he says that we don't know how to pray, that's not in the sense of, you know, pattern of prayer. Uh, like who like who we are to pray for and uh you, you know what posture or or whatever the case may be um but it's it's rather rather he's talking about not knowing how to articulate or discuss our our needs maybe or maybe we can't even discern what they are we know we're in need of something but we can't even discern what that that need is whether it's emotional spiritual whatever the case may be we still have somebody who does know and he intercedes for us because he, Paul says, searches the heart. He knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Our spirit, I believe, is what Paul is saying there. In Revelation 2.23 and Acts 1.24 are other places where the Scripture emphasizes to us that Jesus is the knower of hearts and he searches the heart and knows what the mind of the Spirit is. And so he can place our needs before the Father. And that's a tremendous blessing. Even if I don't, even if I don't know where to begin to ask God how to help me or what I need. It doesn't matter because he sees He sees my need or suffering or whatever the case may be, and he already knows what that is, but I still have to approach him in prayer even if I can't adequately articulate what's what's in my heart. And I can find great comfort in the fact that my, my advocate, my high priest, does. He's able to sympathize with me perfectly. Hebrews chapter 4 teaches us. And so he knows. He knows how to put those things before before the Father. Well, still some might have you know, the question that Paul uses the word intercessor, um, which is a form of paraclete, I think, there in Romans chapter 8 and, and verse 26. And so they might have this question, well, if you know, if he's using that word and uh, it is referring to the Holy Spirit, well, how can the Holy Spirit can be, can be an intercessor, a mediator, um, as the word is translated elsewhere, 1 Timothy 2, uh, along with Christ, when that text and First Timothy two is saying we only have one. Uh, so how can both Christ and the Holy Spirit be called a paraclete in, in that sense? Well, again, I doubt that Romans eight twenty six is referring to the Holy Spirit because the idea in the text is the communication of our desires, not that of answering for us in justice before God's throne. Right? The the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. It is Jesus who does that. Again, Romans eight thirty four says the crucified and resurrected Christ is alone qualified to perform that priestly function as other texts uh, as well mentioned that I, I noted a moment ago, Hebrews 7.25. So just because we have this word intercessor attached with spirit doesn't mean we have to, first of all, understand that Paul is talking about the Holy Spirit. I don't believe he is. Uh, and furthermore, just because he uses the word intercessor doesn't mean we have to understand it in the same way that we do when Jesus is spoken of as our intercessor. Because that, that word that's translated intercessor is sometimes translated as advocate or comforter. Uh, and there's different words that are rendered intercessor, like in Romans 8 here. Uh, and, and it's the verb that's used interceding um, for us. 
so first John two and verse one is another place where we find this idea of advocate, intercessor, um, uh, or paraclete, I think is the, the original word in the Greek. Uh, but there, you know, it's, it's, it's the idea of a lawyer defender. Uh, and in, in John chapter 14, we see the word again in verse 16 and verse 26, John 15, 26. And then in John, John 16, seven, where it's primarily translated as comforter, I think in, in most Bibles. So the word just literally means called to one side, called to one side. And it has a wide variety of, of, of uses and the, the specific sense in which it's used in first John two. Uh, I, so to my knowledge is the only way, only place where it's translated as this advocate type or helper assistant in the, in a lawyer defender type sense where John in the context is talking about the problem of sin and the need to have one qualified to appear before the father on our, on our behalf. Um, you know, John has just spoken of in first John one, the need to walk in the light as he is in the light. So the blood of Jesus, his son cleanses us from all unrighteousness as we confess our sins. First John one, nine and 10. If we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth is not in us. And then he goes on to say at the top of chapter two, I write these things, brethren, so that you will not sin. But if we do, we have an advocate with the father. We have this intercessor. And so, uh, so John makes it clear, I'm not saying this because I want you to think you have a license to sin, but rather you should avoid sin, be honest with yourself about sin, confess your sin, strive to walk in the light, and insofar as you do those things, you have this advocate with, with the Father, one qualified to appear before him on your behalf. Uh, and so that that's a priestly function, again, that's exclusive to Jesus Christ. And so... That's the con- but that's the context of First John two and, and, and verse one. Uh, so just because we have the same word used elsewhere, like in John fourteen, of the Holy Spirit, doesn't necessarily mean that we're talking about the same function. Because Jesus, in the context, makes it clear what the Holy Spirit's function is going to be, even though He's calling Him a Paraclete or Comforter or Helper or Assistant or something like this, depending on your translation. Uh, so. The application of the word to Christ uh, and to the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily mean that they fulfill the same role and they have identical functions. If we just go to the context in John chapter 14 and we see Jesus promising those men, uh, specific men, certain disciples, that another comforter, note that first of all, another comforter was going to come in verse 16, um, that tells us that you know, there the word is used even of Jesus by implication in uh, another sense, not just of an intercessor, uh, but also of a comforter, because in his personal association with them, he had been a comfort to them. He had been by their side. He had been their helper. He had been their teacher um, in just the generic sense of, of the word paraclete, right? But he had not yet become their advocate in the priestly sense as it's used in First John 2, 1. So the context has to help us understand um, how the word is is being being used. So the Holy Spirit would be another comforter, but he would not be and could not be another kind of comforter comforter in the same way that Jesus was in this priestly sense, as he would become when he ascended. 
so the spirit, what was going, how would the spirit be a comfort? We just look at the context, and Jesus says that he's the spirit of truth in John 14, 16, 17. And John 14, 26, it says that he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. He will guide you into all truth. John 15, 26 and 27, he will testify about me and you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. And again, in John 16, 7, he will convict the world of sin when he comes. And so all of that, the, the way that, that the Holy Spirit was going to be a comforter, a paraclete and, and be at their side was in the function of teaching. So the Spirit would perform some function personally with these men specifically uh, and be their helper in this in this peculiar role. And, and that had to do with their knowing and teaching the truth. Not in an intercessory type role. He wasn't a paraclete in an intercessory uh, sense in any, in any way or advocate uh, in that de- lawyer defender type sense. But just look at the context in John 14, 15, and 16. And Jesus is... The common thread there, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit's role in teaching these men and inspiring these men, and they're teaching others and being witnesses to others of the things that they had seen. So there's nothing here to justify, either in Romans 8 or John, 1 John 2 or John 14, uh, there's nothing there to justify the conclusion that the other comforter, uh, the Holy Spirit, was first of all going to be promised to anybody else other than those whom the Lord taught personally and also that he wasn't going to have the, there's nothing there to justify the conclusion that the comforter of the Holy Spirit would have the same function as Jesus um, as a paraclete in in the advocate sense or the intercessory sense. So we, we can't go any further and we shouldn't want to go any further than the text is willing to, to take us. So we just look at the context and we can see how the same word is used to refer, first of all, to different people. Uh, the Holy Spirit and the Son, uh, entities, I should say, to uh, uh, deity, but two persons of deity, but uh, they also have different functions. Uh, so it's not that when Paul says we have an intercessor he, in Romans eight twenty six, in referring to the Spirit, first of all, I don't, again, I don't believe he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, and I don't think he could be in the, in the same capacity as Jesus is our our intercessor and spirit. So that that forces me to the conclusion that Paul is talking about our own personal spirit groaning within uh, and and the one who intercedes, verse 34, that being Jesus Christ, as we see elsewhere. He is the one searching the heart, and he understands my groanings. And so he articulates that perfectly before the Father, and I can have access to the Father through him uh, because he is my high priest. So if you have any more questions about that, uh, don't hesitate to email me. Maybe you have a different um, understanding and you want to discuss that further. Uh, LeonValleyChurch at gmail.com. I monitor that email address, so feel free to shoot me an email. Uh, so Paul goes on to say, verse 28, moving on from that portion of our discussion. Verse 28, Paul now goes on to say, God causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him. You know, sadly, I've encountered a lot of well-intentioned people, I think, misusing this verse and misrepresenting God's activity in our lives. So when our, our brethren face illness or lose a loved one, I, I don't think we should invoke this passage to say things like, well, it's for the best, or it's God's will. Uh, and it, while it's true that when it comes to the happenings of this world, including the death, even the death of a bird, as Jesus says, the death of a sparrow, not one of them falls to the ground apart from the Father's will, Matthew ten twenty nine. That's a far cry from implying that God is directly involved or that every minute occurrence of life and death is, quote, for the best. I think we need to be careful about saying that. And, and, and 
especially invoking this passage to try and justify saying something like that. You know, all things to which Paul refers to here is what he has mentioned in the context. And again, that includes present suffering, specifically the wrestling of our spirit with our flesh, um, to be sure. But Paul's point is that Christians can and should have a unique perspective of suffering and that God permits suffering to run its course and even subjected all of creation to futility, as he says in verse 20. And we can rest assured that even the most horrific of circumstances can yield positive results if we remain steadfast in the faith and continue to love God, that God causes all things to work for the good of those who who love him. We can't forget that last point of of the text. Uh, So that is... That's a far cry from saying, well, God determined to, to make you miserable or suffer in, in a certain certain way when we just can't know that. We don't, we don't know that. Um, you know, time and chance happen to us all. Uh, but we, what we can know is that regardless of circumstances, uh, we can come out better and more refined if we respond to them, painful circumstances in, in, in the right way. Um, again, horrific circumstances can yield positive results, right? Let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, James says in James 1 and verse 2 as he's discussing trials there. Uh, so that is that is the sense or that is the way in which we even negative circumstances and difficult circumstances can yield um, new strength and, and can also help us um, help others who suffer in the same way. Second um, Corinthians one four speaks to that point. All of Second Corinthians chapter one are a good part of it anyway. That speaks to comforting others with the comfort that we ourselves have been comforted with by by God. Um, and we can develop perseverance again. That's another thing that James names in that text. We can develop perseverance for further trials. So God can work even in those things. That, um, but that doesn't mean that He is the cause of those things, those difficult circumstances. Scripture reminds us that Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame for the joy set before him. And the Holy Spirit doesn't mean that Jesus enjoyed the cross or that his suffering and murder were good things in themselves, but rather he could look ahead and see the joy set before him precisely because of his suffering. And we can and should do the same. I think that's what Paul is is driving at there in in Romans 8 and that particular part. So if we we will endure, verse 30, and remember uh, that, as Paul says, whom he predestined, those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified, um, that we will find great comfort and hope to endure in those circumstances. We we can draw strength from that that text. Um, because, you know, have you, have you ever noticed how, at least in some places in Scripture, all elements of God's plan are spoken of as already being accomplished? You know, so Paul is speaking all in the past tense here. He says, those whom he justified, he also glorified. But in the very same context, he talks about the glory that is to be revealed, you know, that, that is yet to be revealed in verse 18. And now in verse 30, he's, he's going past tense. Believers are glorified. You know, we find, um, you know, the same the same elsewhere in places like Hebrews 12 and 22. And Jesus himself speaks prospectively of, of having accomplished his own work even before going to the cross in John 17, 4. So this this seems to be the point. I think this is why the Holy Spirit does this, that by speaking in the present perfect um, of having accomplished or having been glorified, God is driving home the point that 
this is his eternal purpose, that this is what he intended all along, and nothing's going to change his mind. It's from the foundation of the world, as Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, that he would create mankind in his own image and then provide the means for our salvation, knowing that we would ultimately forsake him, provide the means for our redemption and justification, removal of our sins, so that we might share in his glory forever and have the hope of heaven and eternal glory. And Paul is saying that it's done, that this was this was the plan all along. He predestined, he already decided, he already ordained the type of person who would be justified and glorified. And specifically, he says, those who conform to the image of his son. Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to, to become conformed to the image of his son. And these he predestined. These are whom he justified. These are the ones whom he glorified. Uh, so these are also the ones whom Paul says overwhelmingly conquer in the end. And we're going to talk more about that next week, I hope, um, in this very last section of, of Romans chapter 8. So Jesus is, let's end with this point. Jesus is the source of salvation to all those who obey him, Hebrews 5, 9. And he is our intercessor. And he sees the groanings of our heart. And God can cause all things to work together for the good of those who love him. Not because he determined those things to happen, but because of those who love him respond in the right way. He can He can refine them. He can ha- cause them to have greater endurance and greater strength and greater faith. So have you submitted to him in faith? That's the question that I want to end with. Do you trust his grace? to redeem and justify you before him when you stand in judgment. Do you have that advocate? Do you have Jesus as your intercessor? He is the only one who can. He is the one mediator between God and man, 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6. Without him, we have no hope. Do you have any questions? Do you have comments, suggestions for a topic to study? Well, I hope you would contact me at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. Visit our website, leonvalleychurch.org. You can find a contact form there and other resources. I'm honored that email address, as I mentioned earlier, and I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to uh, know your thoughts, and I'm going to continue to pray about these things. I hope that you will, too. May God give us wisdom and understanding of His Word. I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings 